What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Monday, September 11th, 2023. Scott Ritter uh, joins us now. I'd like to start with uh, with 9-11, uh, Scott. Today's the 22nd anniversary uh, of that assault on, on America, on American democracy, and on innocent human beings. Uh, do you think that elements of the United States government maybe as high as Vice President Cheney himself, knew this was coming before it came? I don't have any information to uh, that, that could corroborate that. Um, I mean, clearly the CIA had provided warnings of this potential. Clearly there was a lack of communication between the FBI and the CIA who were uh, both um, respectively running uh, or monitoring personnel who were directly involved in the attack had they coordinated more effectively. Uh, there's a likelihood that this attack could have been prevented. There was incompetence all around. I'm a big subscriber to the incompetence theory as opposed to the conspiracy theory, just having worked in government for as long as I did. Um, I'm familiar with the concept of uh, incompetence. I'm, I'm not very familiar with the, comp uh, the concept of competent conspiracy. So I, I, I'm, I'm more comfortable, and, and perhaps it's part of me just not wanting to believe that my government could be involved in something of this nature. But... Uh, I believe that there was a lot of incompetence. Uh, this attack could have been prevented. But um, to, to this day, I do not subscribe to the notion that uh, men and women who took an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, men and women who would uh, have given their lives in defense of their nation would somehow have been complicit in uh, an attack that took uh, so many thousands of uh, innocent American lives. Do you think foreign governments were involved, whether it was Saudi Arabia or Israel? I think there's no doubt that the Saudi Arabian government was complicit in this. Um, there's no evidence that I've seen. Again, I need to point out that on 9-11, I was not in the U.S. government. I hadn't been in the U.S. government for many years, and uh, I was in no position to have access to, uh, to classified information. So I was just a private citizen. And uh, But I monitored the issue, and there's been no hard evidence that uh, that links Israel to this attack. Uh, I do believe that there is significant evidence that leaks the Saudi uh, Arabian government to this attack, and it's evidence that continues to be suppressed to this day. Do you think that um, the CIA and the NSA uh, suppressed evidence that didn't pass on either to the White House or to FBI law enforcement, what they knew, what they had, what they uh, suspected? I think that's been established without a, without any any doubt that the CIA had information. The CIA was monitoring uh, people who 
uh, ended up on the list of 19 uh, personnel accused of hijacking aircraft. Uh, the CIA was monitoring these people, and had they passed this information on to FBI, to law enforcement, uh, these people could have been detained. But we also know that the FBI was monitoring people as well and that they weren't coordinating with the CIA. The failure of the FBI and the CIA to communicate on this issue because, frankly speaking, turf wars, it had nothing to do with national security, it had everything to do with bureaucratic turf wars, is unforgivable. 3,000 Americans lost their lives because of it. There, there uh, is an argument, a constitutional argument, for a wall of separation between the CIA and the FBI when it has to do with whether or not evidence was uh, acquired lawfully to be used in a prosecution. But we're not talking about a prosecution at that point. We're talking about defending uh, the nation uh, from an onslaught. We're talking about the CIA knowing some of the pieces of the puzzle, Zacharias Massawi learning how to fly a plane but not how to land it, uh, and the FBI uh, knowing about money coming in from Saudi Arabia and them just not talking uh, to each other, not communicating with each other, almost like little boys who want to go to the president, the, like a school teacher, and say, oh, look what I found, and I beat so-and-so to the punch. I mean, that Absolutely. is beyond incompetence. That is malfeasance or misfeasance in office. No? I agree with you, Judge. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not a law enforcement officer. I don't play one on TV, and I didn't spend the night at a Holiday Inn Express, but uh, I, I agree with you that um, that the the... the the level of culpability approaches criminal uh, that uh, you, you were given a task, you're given a job to protect Americans. You were given certain powers and authorities to, uh, to complete this task and you failed to do so not because of incompetence, which is forgivable. I mean, just because you're incompetent doesn't make you criminally um, complicit, but right. this was because you uh, had a turf war that you were trying to one up a bureaucratic uh, competitor, uh, unforgivable. And um, again, um, I, I think, I, I trust your judgment when you say that this approach is, you know, criminally complicit. Uh, Geraldi and uh, McGovern uh, point to the incident of um, about eight or nine Mossad agents, Israeli um, intelligence, on a rooftop in Jersey City, New Jersey, the day before 9-11, looking for sight lines to the World Trade Center. And then it points out that they were there and rejoicing or appear to be celebrating or dancing uh, when the planes hit. And then they were arrested by the FBI and kept in solitary confinement for a month and then uh, released on the order of uh, President Bush. This, of course, causes uh, some of our colleagues, I've just named two of them, uh, to believe that the uh, Mossad knew this was coming uh, and benefited from it because it uh, it uh, gave the Bush-Cheney regime uh, evidence with which to uh, involve the military in wars in the Middle East in ways that it had not been involved there before. Make sense to you? I'm not I'm not dismissing it. I just I, what I have to say is I I've heard the same information. Um, uh, I think Mr. Giraldi has done uh, a, 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 a deeper dig into the uh, to the issue than me. And so I'll uh, I'll rely on his judgment uh, there. I, I can't say that I, I'm competent to uh, to pass judgment on uh, what he said one way or the other. Switching gears, are you satisfied that the um, observations that the spring or summer uh, offensive, Ukrainian uh, offensive, 
has failed and the world has recognized it? I am. I mean, you know, it's still ongoing and um, you never want to count your chickens before they hatch uh, or get too far ahead of the game, especially in something like war where, uh, you know, the enemy can rise up and punch you in the face. Uh, there's still a, a lot of lethality left in the Ukrainians. But uh, at this juncture, I think it's clear to everybody that the Russian defenses are holding. Um, they're going to continue the hold and that Ukraine lacks the resources to uh, viably challenge the Russians and that they're running out of resources, not just for uh, the particular counteroffensive operations in the vicinity of the village of Robotino, but up and down the, the line. There's a resource exhaustion that could lead to um, the collapse of the Ukrainian defensive position in the coming weeks and months. Here's uh, General Milley, who, uh, no surprise, uh, has an entirely different view and argues that there has been, I'll let you define this word if you can, after you watch him, partial success. The Ukrainians have achieved very steady progress and they've maintained uh, a depth of combat power that is significant. And there's still a reasonable amount of time, probably about 30 to 45 days worth of uh, fighting weather left. So the Ukrainians aren't done, this battle's not done, and they haven't achieved uh, they haven't uh, finished the fighting part of what they're trying to accomplish. So we'll see. It's too early to say how this is going to end. They at least have achieved partial success in what they set out to do. Uh, and then uh, we'll get the cold, as you mentioned. It'll start, uh, the, 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 the rains will come in. It'll become very muddy and it'll be very difficult to maneuver at that point. And then you'll get the deep winter. Uh, and then at that point, we'll see where things go. But right now, uh, it is way too early to say that this offensive is failed or not failed. Uh, there's still heavy fighting going on. Uh, the Ukrainians are still plugging away with steady progress uh, through the uh, through the, uh, the various defensive belts that the Russians have put in place. Political hogwash or uh, based on hard evidence of which he is aware? I think it's politically motivated, wishful thinking. Um, you know, he, he he's very careful with his words. You, you, you can't sit there and, and, and point some and go, liar. Um, steady, pro you know, <laughs> steady progress. Uh, if um, scratching forward and taking 10 meters here, 10 meters there, 100 meters here at the at the loss of hundreds, if not thousands of lives, um, if, if the General Mealy wants to call that progress, be my guest. Uh, he knows what the objectives are. He was part of the planning process. He knows that the Ukrainians should have been uh, in Tokmak, uh, the, the, the next major uh, town up, and uh, advancing towards Melitopol at this point or have already captured Melitopol. Uh, so the fact that the Ukrainians um, are, are still beating their heads against the first defensive line of the Russians, uh, he knows that this is uh, it's taken far too long and that the Ukrainians simply lack the resources to finish the job. He knows this, but he's spinning his words very carefully. Um, he's, he's leaving open a, a window of hope, but there's, there's no serious politician, no serious uh, military professional who, um, who believes that the Ukrainians have a, uh, a chance of succeeding uh, in this, in this counteroffensive. Almost everybody universally recognizes failure when they see it. He uh, goes into retirement on January 1st. I had misspoken earlier thinking it was uh, September 30th. Um, is it likely he already has a job in the defense industry or at a think tank funded by the defense industry? And so he's got to keep articulating the government line, the defense industry line, the DOD line, the get more money and buy more ammunition line. 
I tell you what, if he has a job lined up in the defense industry, then he should be arrested and thrown in jail. He is a serving chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. His duty and loyalties and his entire energy should be 100% focused on uh, completing his mission. He should not be engaged in any conversation with defense industry regarding post-retirement uh, uh, employment. The same thing with think tanks. Uh, he knows this. He knows what the law is. So I doubt that he's doing that. Now, having said that, we all know how the game's played. We know that there's wink, wink, nod, nod taking place. And we know that on January 2nd, uh, his phone will be ringing off the hook uh, as these board members, you know, these board uh, memberships uh, come in as, uh, you know, offers for, you know, fellowships here, uh, positions there come in. But he should not be involved uh, at all. But the, the revolving door is such that it's just assumed this is going to happen. So there's no reason for him to be uh, involved in direct conversations of that nature. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We're going to uh, take a break um, for a statement from the sponsor. Sponsor coming out of my mouth when we come back. General Petraeus and his latest nonsense and what Scott Ritter thinks about that. But first, this. Hi, everyone. Judge Napolitano here. And the verdict is in. Everywhere I go, people are complaining how expensive things are and how their stomachs turn every time they get their IRA statement. Listen, many experts are predicting a recession. When, how, where, how bad, who knows? But why wait and see? Do what I did and learn how adding gold to your portfolio can help. Now, you all know that I am a paid spokesperson for Lear Capital, but I believe in Lear Capital. I trust them and I value their products. Lear Capital is the company that I trust for buying my gold. Lear Capital has over 25 years experience and thousands of five-star reviews and a 24-hour risk-free purchase guarantee. Call my friends at Lear today and start protecting your retirement with gold. Here's the number. You see it on the screen. 800-511-4620. 800-511-4620. Or use the internet as I do, learjudgenap.com. And get your free gold investment guide and learn how to take control of your financial future. Now, listen to this. My friends at Lear are offering to Judging Freedom customers only a $15,000 bonus in gold. Call today and see if you qualify for it. 800-511-4620 or Judge Knapp, excuse me, learjudgenapp.com. Let me uh, play you uh, General uh, Petraeus 
again, using a line that you and I have heard him use before and of which you've been partially and, and justly critical, in my view, uh, re referencing the Russian defenses cracking. Do you think that the geography and the geometry of the war still favors Ukraine and will get better? Depends on a number of different factors. Most significantly is whether or not Russian forces at some point crack and perhaps even crumble or even collapse. Again, that's not the base case necessarily. And that's certainly what those of us who are following this very, very closely are looking for. That's I think the key, the Ukrainians know that. The Ukrainians are fighting for their very survival. For This is their war of independence. Russian soldiers are not all that happy to be there in many cases. They certainly can't look over their shoulder and see who they're fighting for. There are slight cracks, but nothing like a real crumbling, much less a collapse. But that's, I think, what we need to watch for. That's what I'm sure the Ukrainians are trying to figure out how to precipitate. Party line again. Well, I mean, the the interesting thing is, is um, at least he's being honest. Uh, he he's thrown away um, anything resembling professionalism or military rationality, uh, and he's basically going on a wing and a prayer, which is what uh, you know any any a, a assault strategy that's premised on the Russians cracking and crumbling uh, as a precondition for success. Um, you know, you, you can't have the Russians crack and crumble if you haven't provided sufficient resources to suppress Russian um, firepower as you close with a, a fortified position in an effort to breach it. Uh, and the, the first letter in the suppression um, acronym is S for, I mean, in the, in the breach acronym is S and it's for a reason. Without suppression, you can't breach. The Ukrainians don't have an air force. They can't suppress the Russian Air Force. They can't suppress Russian air defense. They have artillery that's insufficient to the task of suppressing uh, Russian artillery. Uh, they have not shown themselves able to suppress Russian helicopters, Russian anti-tank guided missiles. And this is why they're, they're still stuck outside the first defensive belt. They're getting beat to death by the Russians, who, by the way, have the high ground. General Petraeus, if you knew anything about the military and maybe forgot everything you learned at West Point, but the high ground beats the low ground all the time. Um, and and, and this, is, this is the reality. Uh, Petraeus is, is sitting there hoping that the Russians will crack, the Russians will run. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. Take the Alyosha tank. Uh, it was that single Ukrainian tank, a Russian tank that went out and engaged eight uh, Ukrainian vehicles, two tanks, six uh, armored fighting vehicles, destroying them all. Uh, the crew was composed of one contract soldier, that's the equivalent of our professional soldier, um, one volunteer, uh, and two mobilized soldiers. Those are the guys that portray saying they don't want to be there. Those four guys all got the you know, Hero of Russia award because they fought like demons. Uh, they, they know what they're fighting for. Petraeus should go visit Russia, go to Volgograd, look at... Um, the motherland call statue that looms over the Volga River and, uh, you know, Mother Russia with the sword in hand, pulling back, waving the Russian men forward. Right, the Russians right. know what they're fighting for. They know what they're fighting for. Um, maybe General Petraeus is getting his views from President Zelensky, who recently said that um, the Ukrainian front line has advanced eastward. Here he is. Fellow Ukrainians, at the end of this week, it is important to say a few things. First of all, the front line. Over the past seven days, we have advanced. There is movement in the Tavria directions. There is movement in the Bakhmut direction. Kupiansk and Lyman directions, Avdivka and Marienka, we are holding our ground there. 
I am grateful to all the warriors who make this possible. Every week, our warriors continuously keep the initiative in the hands of Ukraine. It is Ukrainian heroism that determines how this war will end. Again, for our domestic uh, political uh, consumption and not to be relied on as an accurate statement of uh, a fact. Well, I mean, again, he's not lying. Uh, at, at the end of this week, uh, the, the, the front line has moved forward. Okay, 100 meters, but you lost 5,000 guys to do it. And it's 100 meters the Russians didn't care about. They're not going to die for that 100 meters. They're going to make you die for that 100 meters. So they pulled back, let you come in. They killed you. Who's winning this one, Zelensky? At this rate of advance, it'll take you 20 years to get to Melitopol, but you're never going to do it because you're going to run out of manpower first. That's the reality. You know, war isn't about drawing little arrows on a map. War is about suppressing uh, an enemy's ability to sustain uh, combat efficiency on the field of battle. There's logistics involved. There's, you know, uh, firepower, maneuver, etc. There, uh, Under no circumstances is Ukraine prevailing in any aspect of this. They've proven able to amass tens of thousands of men backed up by thousands of pieces of equipment in a given area and achieve very little for that effort besides losing thousands of men, losing hundreds of pieces of equipment. Is the United States government uh, trying to uh, flip the famously neutral Switzerland into becoming an ally uh, in this war, either publicly or by supplying uh, ammunition and military equipment to Ukraine? Well, the answer is straight up yes. Uh, the U.S. ambassador to Switzerland, Scott Miller, has made a concerted effort at pressuring uh, the Swiss government to, um, one, uh, put more stringent economic sanctions against uh, Russian assets that are held by, Rus uh, by uh, Swiss banks, um, by Swiss interests, and uh, two, to violate uh, Switzerland's constitutionally mandated neutrality by um, allowing nations who have bought uh, Swiss ammunition. They, they have a, um, a, a anti-aircraft gun that's very popular, uh, 20 millimeter, 40 millimeter, um, and ammunition is being held by several NATO members. They've sent uh, guns to the Swiss that use this ammunition, but the Swiss say that you can't resell that or re-export it. If we gave it to you, that's a contract between us and you. You can't send it to a nation that's at war. That's a violation of our uh, neutrality. And there's a lot of pressure being put on Switzerland for that because they're the only source of this uh, ammunition. There's pressure for Switzerland to become uh, more active in the European Union, uh, an act which in and of itself could put Switzerland in, in danger of losing its neutrality. And for people who scoff at neutrality, understand this. Uh, the, the, the Swiss neutrality, it's not perfect. I know there's going to be people calling up history and say, what about Nazi Germany? What about the gold? What about that? What about it? It happened. We know that. But what about the Swiss providing Geneva as a neutral ground where the United States and Russia could sit down and talk about arms control agreements um, and perhaps save the world from killing itself? Because of our interference, the Russians no longer view Geneva as neutral ground. So even if we wanted to engage in arms control discussions with the uh, Russians, there is no more neutral ground there. Thank you very much, Scott Miller. Thank you, Tony Blinken. Thank you, Joe Biden. Swiss neutrality is actually beneficial to American national security. I would think that uh, it's so integral uh, to the Swiss people and to the Swiss government and the Swiss constitution, as I understand it. I'm, like you, I've spent a lot of time in Switzerland. 
that this would have to be some sort of the, this is the purest democracy on the planet as we know it. I think there would have to be some sort of a referendum on this, no? Well, there's going to be because I mean the way the you know the, the Swiss government has been acting uh, without, uh, I mean they they act without consulting the, the the Swiss public, and so the way the Swiss public can get back is by holding a referendum. And on the issue of neutrality, there is a group right now who is seeking to get the 100,000 signatures necessary to bring this issue of um, enshrining uh, Swiss neutrality uh, into the constitution. Constitution makes sure you know lo no laws can deviate, no government can act in uh, in in, uh, in you know uh, in in uh, violation of this. Um, it's going to work. 91% of the Swiss population in a recent poll support uh, Switzerland being neutral. So they have, you know, they have direct democracy. It's an amazing thing. You, you mentioned it. Uh, the people get the vote. They show up uh, hand counted. And sometimes when I say hand counted, you have to raise your hand and they count the hands. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. I wish America, we had more of it. The other thing is they can debate these things. When you come together for a vote, any Swiss citizen capable of voting can take the stand and have his or her voice uh, be heard on this issue. So I think it is going to come to um, to a vote, and I, I, I you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, I'm confident that the Swiss will continue their neutral path. But the problem is not the Swiss. The problem is the Americans. The problem is the Europeans. We are looking for short-term political gain. Um, you know. It, uh, bragging rights to say, uh, we got the Swiss on our side. There's no safe haven for the Russians, but there's very little to be gained from this. So we have so much to lose. Like I said, Swiss neutrality is important. Right now in, in, in the Korean peninsula, uh, the, there's a Swiss military detachment that goes back and forth to uh, monitor the ceasefire. They do it because the North Koreans trust them as honest brokers, as neutral parties. If we violate Swiss neutrality and we lose that, that's, that's a big deal. Scott Ritter, always uh, a pleasure, my dear friend. Um, we'll we'll chat with you again soon. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Of course, Morris, we get it. I know you like that, and and you would be great if you can help us spread the word by subscribing to Judging Freedom. We're up to one hundred ninety-seven thousand subscriptions. Our goal is two hundred fifty thousand uh, by Christmas time. You know what we do. You just heard Scott. Uh, at uh, 4.30, General or Colonel uh, McGregor. And at 5 o'clock, Bernie Carrick, the police commissioner of the city of New York 9 uh, on 9-11, with his reminiscences of what they thought was happening and what they did to keep people uh, safe. Were they concerned about keeping liberty safe? Judge Napolitano for judging freedom. <laughs>